talk, big opinions, the panel. It is Andrew Gordy with us this morning and uh, Sam Ackerman, uh, two very powerful men in the New Zealand media setup. And uh, Andrew Gordy, if I could start with you, please, uh, to look at uh, cricket and the Black Caps uh, beaten handsomely again last night, conceding uh, close to 400 runs in a one-day international. Staggering. Um, what have you made of this little uh, jaunt to India so far? Morning, Smithy. Morning, Sammy. Uh, morning to all the listeners. Uh, great to be back um, with you guys uh, in the new year. Um, Smithy, I've never been described as powerful. Um, you clearly haven't seen Jim or anything like that. So um, no, I appreciate that, uh, especially coming from you, mate. Um, this jaunt to India has been a bit of a disaster, hasn't it? It's been a reality check. Um, not, not really suggesting for a moment that I think Black Caps fans have because I think this has just confirmed really what we already knew and that is that this Black Caps team is going through quite an alarming decline at the moment um, I think in all areas of the game, Test 1 day T20 and we all know the reasons why they've, they've, they're a team that very successful in recent years but that team got old, some of them retired some of them have chosen to leave their contracts and now we're saying the next tier looks like. And shock me, it's not that flash. And it can't really be a great surprise to anyone. It's something that we've known um, New Zealand cricket fans for forever and a day, that sometimes performance at domestic level doesn't translate to international level. We've seen it time and time again. And look, I'm not suggesting for a moment that some of the that we've seen uh, in India in particular, I suppose, uh, um, over, this, over this series, will not reach that mark. It's quite clear that at this moment, they are not there. I was talking power in terms of your mental capacity, Andrew, which we're very <laughs> pleased to have. Very pleased to have back. Great, mate. <laughs> Sam, Sam, good morning to you. Um, uh, my concerns um, are this: whether this is a slight payback for India not sending their best players over to us for a, a series, so denying them the likes of uh, Southey and Williamson and Co. Or uh, here we are coming up to a World Cup in those conditions, and uh, our head coach and our key players aren't there, getting ready for that tournament with an opportunity to prepare in those conditions. But I find it just a little bit strange, Sam. Yeah, it's, it's an unusual one. Good morning, you, Smithy, and you, uh, Andrew. Hope you're well, mate. Uh, the, the concept for me of of a second string um, team touring uh, India is it feels unusual because it's uh, it should be viewed as one of the pinnacles to uh, do test yourself in those conditions. Uh, and by those conditions, I don't just mean uh, weather and pitch. I mean the, the fans and uh, and the environment that you play in there. This is a, a team that or by all rights, should be losing to India at home. And we've seen near full-strength New Zealand teams lose to India at home. So we shouldn't be stunned uh, at the result. The, the the margin, as you mentioned, was 400 runs and the way they were accumulating those runs as well. There's obviously things that are concerned there. And uh, I, I'm with Andrew about the, the concept of where this team uh, is at and we should all be very realistic about it. 
there could be an argument that you could have blooded more of these players through into the national team, given them more time and responsibility during some of the previous years. But I'd argue that New Zealand wouldn't have achieved the heights they did if they weren't prepared to say, we want to excel and we want to dominate now. Now, no one will be able to take those achievements away from New Zealand. We have a good playing pool. We don't have the deepest uh, playing pool. And I think making the most of what you have uh, is crucial. A very interesting stage and in what will be a very interesting year of cricket. But I'm, I'm far from surprised by um, the results with uh, with what was sent uh, and I, I, I personally wouldn't have passed an opportunity. If New Zealand cricket actively and genuinely said well we're going to show India by sending a, a, a second rate team to, um, to their shores because that's what they did to us then that's just blind stupidity. I mean do you think the Indian fans are sitting around wailing and being upset they're just watching, they're loving seeing their team put 400 on a, on a uh, team in a one day. So I, I, to me it's a um, if there's anything petty behind there, it's only going to blow up in New Zealand's face, not India's. Okay, uh, good points here. Uh, Sam, I'll stay with you. Um, you. You look at uh, tackling a lot, particularly in the NRL, but uh, this proposed new waist-down tackling laws um, is being slammed now for changing the nature of the game and also uh, not really taking their danger element out with their heads being exposed to knees, etc., and thighs and hips. Uh, what's your view on this, Sam? But the knees are uh, as dangerous, if not more so, than the uh, the shoulders, in my opinion. Uh, it also changes the complete structure of the game. Uh, listen, I am absolutely 100% for anything that will lead to uh, players, be them amateur professional, having less exposure to their uh, heads being uh, you know, damaged and, and, and concussion. I mean, the head knock to me, I always feel, is a, a phrase that talks down the, the severity of what this can be, so I try not to use it. But the, the damage that can be done around there can be long lasting and just for playing a game certainly at those uh, those younger levels even prepared to you know make that your career you're trying to make it what you can before uh, you know a, a kind of injury that can affect the rest of your life so I'm all for it that said I don't think this is the answer because if you're sending people down to tackle below the waist that's not an area that many of these players who are training uh, who can be playing under the system, it would have been trained how to tackle them. They've been trained to wrap up the ball, go for the body. So right now the rules change. What's the training doing? What what are you doing to protect them uh, through that concept? It'll be a free-flowing game. Uh, offloads will come um, fast and furious, and, and that could be a good thing to view, absolutely. But I think that it's far... You know, the waist is quite a lot <laughs> further down than the head. Uh, it's a bit of a radical concept for me, but I, I personally would say let's try one competition where every jersey he needs to have a line that goes literally across the uh, the chest through you know by the by the the nipple area, and you've got to tackle there and down. It's a visual line for people to look at, for the referees to see to make an easier call on. Uh, and when you're aiming your tackle, you're literally seeing something that can come with it to um, bring the uh, the tackle area down. But it, it's it's too far for me. I don't think it's going to work. It does change the uh, fabric of the game too much, uh, and I'm not convinced that it's going to be a reduction in injuries. The research that they have found says that oh, there's a reduction of those that go tackling down, um, down below the waist. Well, that's not until you throw every tackle down below the waist and then there'll be an increase. It's To me, it's flawed. Okay, interesting. Uh, and uh, I like that concept too of the line on the jersey. Uh, Gords, how, how do you see it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that. I actually heard someone else uh, raise that very same idea yesterday about the lining on the jersey. I think that's actually a really good idea. It's easily something that... Uh, you know, jersey manufacturers could include um, when, when designing jersey. And that would be, I think, a really meaningful 
way of uh, rugby officials, I suppose, showing we're trying to do something here. And that's, that's really what this all comes back to. Uh, like, whether you settle on the sternum like New Zealand rugby have or the waist like RFU have, all this is about is trying to protect their asses, right? They're trying to sort of reduce the liability, I suppose, so that they can say, we tried, we were doing something, we know that this is an issue, we acknowledge it's an issue, but we're doing our best to, to minimise harm. But I just feel like at, at, at the same time, they're playing really fast and loose with the game as a spectacle and as a form of entertainment because it is going to fundamentally change the way the game is played and I'm less than convinced that it's actually going to lead to a reduction in concussions because all you're doing is, is forcing players to tackle uh, up a particular area and, yeah, we're going to see more knee-to-head contacts and things like that. You'll just increase uh, a form of contact, I suppose, between the ball carrier and the tackler. So I think, it, like Sam says, and I totally agree, it's, I understand what they're doing, but it's a deeply flawed con- concept and I, I can't say this the answer. Right. I, I've got visions of uh, Caleb Clark and that massive size that Caleb Clark has got running into halfbacks who are right now required not to target the ball area and wait for some help, uh, but to hit him first up around about knee or thigh area. Uh, <laughs> crunch. Uh, we'll be back in a second, uh, fellas. We've got to Sam Ackerman and uh, Andrew Gordy with us. It's time for a quick news break with uh, Aroha. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Sam Ackerman with us this morning, as is uh, Andrew Gordy. And uh, Andrew, I think it's uh, fair to say that Novak Djokovic off the court cannot win. Last year he wasn't even really allowed into Australia, or he was, and then he got kicked out very smartly. Uh, the other thing now, of course, um, people are suspecting he's ru- he's got a ruse with an injury, etc. Um, I think he's just about had enough, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I think you're right. The funny look, I'll, I'll, I'll declare this right now. I'm no fan of Novak Djokovic. I, I find him a really difficult character to stomach. But <laughs> it reminds me of that line uh, out of Anchorman, isn't it? I hate you, Ryan Burgundy, but boy, do I respect you. It's uh, it's kind of like that for me. You c- you cannot not respect Novak Djokovic and his his abilities. He is quite clearly. Uh, the standout player, I think, in the world. I will be stunned if he doesn't win this tournament. Um, and I just think in time we're going to reflect and go, this guy was absolutely one of the greatest players, possibly even the greatest player to ever play the game. Um, and uh, I know about some of our thoughts will need to be revisited on the bloke as a character, but you can't deny that he's a fantastic player. What about you, Sam? Where do you sit with good old Novak, the Joker? You need Novaks in this world. You can't just have guys like Roger Federer that you you have to love all the time. He might not might not want to be the guy, but he fits the villain role so well. He just he's perfect to have in that sense where he's like, I'm the good guy. Everyone's going, No, you're not. He, he brings a theatre to it. He is absolutely copying uh, copying abuse or um, attention that no one else is. And as he said, anyone else gets an injury, they're the victim. I've I've got an injury and I'm faking it. You know like what. What can he do in that environment? But he's, uh, he's slowly, t- you can see this is like a part of the Star Wars 
uh, prequel trilogy, you can slowly see his turn towards the dark side, where he's pretty much saying to, I remember what you said about me last year. Boom, I'm losing five games and knocking you out of, the, out of here in straight sets in front of your home crowd. Anything else you want to say? You can see the slow, like, okay, if, they, if I'm the bad guy, then I'll be the bad guy. Slowly, it's, it's kicking in. His talent, is, as Gord said, is absolutely undeniable, and if, it would be beyond a shock if he doesn't win uh, this tournament, and I just can't wait to see the look on his face when he does. Oh, he pushes the buttons of so many people. When you watch him, you see him play, and uh, and and some people just, just get riled up just by his sheer presence and his, uh, his routine. So, yeah, I, I I think he's great for the sport to have right now because without a a Kyrgios in the tournament and without this kind of like, is it going to be Rafa or is it going to be Roger and like that top level of incredible talent, you need somebody who at least brings some kind of storyline impetus to a, a a tournament like this. And I've I've been loving watching him go and. You can't you, you can't deny he's good. You can't deny he's great. Is he the greatest ever? Numbers will tell eventually, but he'll never be acknowledged for that because he's not loved enough, and that'll always drive this narrative along. Actually, make a good point there, um, Sam, and, and Gordes, I'll bring you in on, on this as well because you've taken Serena Williams, uh, who was, uh, whilst absolutely a magnificent tennis player, was it always perceived as uh, a little bit evil, um, and, and also... You've, you've got uh, Jacob. As you take these people out, I mean, the rest coming through, unbelievably talented, but pretty bland. Is that fair? Yeah, look, I mean, if we're, if we're just talking about talent at the moment, um, he's, he's head and shoulders, isn't he? But like, I mean, you go back to the Serena point. I still think there were people who loved Serena. Like, she was, she was particularly loved in America, I think. Um, and, and, even, and even when she played at Wimbledon and whatnot, but she always had that in her, didn't she, to, to spike um, or to have a go at, at an umpire and come across like a bit of a sook when things weren't going her way. Whereas with Djokovic, I think there's, there's other, other elements at play, at play here. And I, I suppose the question I was just asking what when we were talking about that is, is there really anywhere in the world, and I suppose I'm talking about the Grand Slam circuit, where the crowds genuinely love Novak Djokovic? And I don't think the answer is yes. I think of a place where I, I can't imagine that Novak himself thinks, oh, I'm really looking forward to going to Flushing Meadows or I'm really looking forward to going to Roland Garros or Wimbledon or Melbourne because I just don't think he has that, that relationship uh, with, with the fans anywhere, probably apart from his, his home nation. Um, and I, just, I do wonder how he might reflect on that in time, whether he's bothered by that or whether he's purely just about winning Grand Slam titles and, you know, the, the stats telling the story for themselves. But, um, yeah, and like Sam says, I, I love a pantomime villain as much as everyone else. Like, I, personally, I love what Nick Kyrgios brings to the tennis circuit. A little bit different. Um, and I think we've seen from time to time as well with uh, Daniel Medvedev, uh, with, especially with this Australian crowd as well. But, you know, I, I'm sort of thinking to myself, in a few time... If Novak Djokovic wins the Australian Open final, what sort of reception is he going to get from the crowd? Because it's not going to be a popular victory. I can't see it. Uh, just finally, too, um, this is an interesting one, Sam Ackerman, and that is the NRL um, and this collective bargaining agreement. Uh, where do you see this finishing up, or do you see it finishing up in time for the start of a regular season? Uh, look, the short answer is I do see it finishing up um, because the NRL are famous for dragging things to the last minute and miraculously having an answer, uh, you know, the day that the ball's about to be kicked type of thing. So I'm, I'm not 
sweating on it and uh, a sport like rugby league if you've if you've been a, a passionate league man who's gone through the super league war and all this kind of the insane things that happened uh, during that period in the 90s and early 2000s then this this is just feels like yeah okay I can see I can see that coming again uh, and it's it is it is mental um, that they won't uh, stand down but I will remind you who's in charge of the NRL Peter Volandis is, uh, has been, done a wonderful thing to get game going through the pandemic. He's forthright. He makes decisions, and by hell, he's not going to back down from them. Uh, I just can't see him caving uh, in the context of okay, players association, association have you like. I think he's more likely to say, you know, give me the ball. I'll play, my, I'll play myself. We'll get, we'll get, the, we'll get the front staff uh, taking on the caterers, and we're still going to have a game. The game will go on. He's, he's that pig-headed that I can't see him folding. But the players are taking a stance on things that are actually re- worth taking a stance on as well, and. Some it's easy to paint it out as greed, but they're talking about wanting having funds, uh, more funds for uh, player hardships and those who retire because of injury and need to have support and get surgeries. Like instead of, instead of having a 12 month window to get every surgery you need to get fixed after putting your body on the line for the game, uh, you can have an extended period, uh, more help for concussions, uh, the first ever collective bargaining agreement for the women. So the, these women's players, are, are, for example, coming to the uh, the All Stars game in, uh, in Rotorua next month. And uh, anyone who plays is playing without comprehensive insurance because they they're not covered under a bargaining agreement or clubs right now because no one's signed to one. That's the way their competition works. So they're you know, putting their bodies on the line literally to be able to play the game. Uh, I, I tell you what I love, my favourite in, in, in this soap opera as well is uh, the Americans have offered to uh, to come through and play the American Rugby League and you know all 160 players that we're going to play and then come over and break that picket line uh, and play for a quarter of the money they said. So they're all, they're happy and, and the, you know it's from teams like the was it the, uh, the San Francisco Savage, um, the Salt Lake City Spartans, uh, and the North Bay Warriors. So there's still be a Warriors in the comp if, uh, if needed as well for us to cheer and be disappointed by, uh, should that be ne- necessary. We might make the top eight, if that's the case. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> S- Sam Ackerman and Andrew Gordy, great fun on the panel this morning, uh, gents, uh, with your forthright views as well. Appreciate it. We'll have another uh, panel uh, tomorrow morning.